The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Nadia Dela Cruz, founder of the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community on Facebook and angeltarot.org. My guest today is the owner of an equine therapy and meditation retreat center in Texas. A true health and fitness advocate, she is passionate about all things related to wellness. With over 20 years of experience in the field of nursing, she is currently working as a hospice nurse. Deanna Delaney, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me with you today. I'm very excited to meet you. Now, um, I'm, of course, excited to have you on. We met in the Wayne Dyer Wisdom community, and you were also active in the Meditation 30-Day Challenge. And what I loved is that you were sharing these posts about how you were blending yoga uh, into your meditation practice. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about maybe your daily spiritual practices. What does that look like for you? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I have a very, very busy life and a very stressful uh, job, you know, working in hospice. And I was an oncology nurse for 20 years prior to that. And the way for me to get grounded and recentered is really to be out in nature or out on the farm with my horses and that will just bring me right back down and get rebalanced so that's super important for me to do i also take a trip um, once a year by myself solo to sedona arizona and i just go to the mountains and i treat myself to five days of silence and hiking and that's that really helps me recharge for the year. But on a daily basis, um, I try to find. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Oh, Can I go with yes. you? Yes. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> I'm very selfish about that time. <laughs> I don't let anyone come with me. <laughs> Solo time. Right. I call it my um, walkabout spiritual quest. That's what I titled it. It'll, I'm going for the third year this year. Uh, so on my daily, uh, what my daily spiritual. Um, Uh, grounding looks like is I'll spend about a half an hour in the morning stretching doing some yoga practices and then just sitting down calming myself doing some breath work and then just some silent uh, meditation quieting the mind Um, I do like to listen to some music um, mantra type music recently found Simrite or Simrit S-I-M-R-I-T and the instruments in in the that she uses in her band and her voice just opens up my whole spiritual space. So I'll have that 15 minutes of silence and uh, meditation, and then I'm ready to go about my day. 
That sounds really nice. I, I, um, I gotta admit, I struggle with having a daily practice and um, maybe part of that is where I'm at in life because as soon as I'm up, right, my kids are pulling at me. But um, I, I always feel my best when I can carve out and it doesn't have to be first thing for me. Like maybe I get them set up and everybody has breakfast and then I, you know, um, step away for a few minutes to do a meditation or maybe I do it at night when everybody goes to bed. But on the days that I manage to do that, I always feel better. Oh, absolutely. I know when I miss it. And I don't get to do it every day. But with young children, it is very hard. I know a lot of people either set their alarm an hour early, and that's kind of hard to do when you're lacking sleep, or just before bed can make such a difference, like you say, before going to bed. I know Wayne talked about that as well. Yeah, an evening is probably my favorite time, but there there's something about doing it in the morning that really sets you up for the day. It sounds like a lot of these practices that you have are really born out of necessity um, to maintain that balance, especially with, with a high-stress job. I was going to ask you, where do you find the time for all these passions? Because you have a number <laughs> of certifications under your belt, and, and it looks like you're currently training to become a yoga teacher as well. Is that right? I am. I'm taking an online class, and I also take um, yoga once a week, every Thursday night, with with a yogi to to learn. I'm very visual and hands on, so I'm learning my on my own with the the instructor. And you know, I just turned sixty last year, so I, I have been making shifts and changes. And last year and the year before, fifty eight to sixty, I started getting some certifications to change my career. Um, I opened a business called Restore Balance Within, and it's for women to teach women how to eat right, how to exercise, and to carve in that daily spiritual practice to balance out body, mind, and spirit. So I started up that business two years ago, got certified as a personal fitness trainer, and now I'm adding the yoga piece in. So the underlying thread in all of these pursuits comes back to health and wellness. What inspired you to take this path to help others? Yes. Well, I wasn't living a very healthy lifestyle for many years. Even though I talked about it, I wasn't walking the talk. Um, I was drinking a lot of alcohol in the last um, five years of my life. And um, I knew I had to beat it, um, but it took it took a fall before I was able to make a switch. And um, I could talk about it if you'd like. What what happened? And uh, once I was able to make a shift and get healthy, mm-hmm. sure, go ahead. Sure. Well, you know, I was introduced to Wayne Dyer ten years ago. Um, the very first book I read was um, Your Spiritual Self, or excuse me, My Sacred Self, Your Sacred Self, to be exact. It was written in 1995. And initially, it was a little bit um, confusing for me because Wayne talks a lot about the ego and cultivating the witness and all. So it was really, really tough to um, wrap my mind around And then I also had read, I can see clearly now. And in I can see clearly now, I found that really fascinating because Wayne was looking at his life. I think he was around 70 when he wrote that. 
and he was kind of doing a life review and seeing um, what had happened in his life and where he is now and how all of it was like a tapestry woven in um, to create his life. I did the same thing prior to just turning 60. I did a life review and started looking at um, where I had been and you know, where I where 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 I am today. Um, there was a chapter in I Can See Clearly Now that really spoke to me. And I read it in 2014. And he talked about <clears throat> a couple different things. He um, talked about his own drinking. He had had a, a problem with drinking alcohol. Um, he would have two to three beers after every run for the last 20 years of his life. And one day he just had an epiphany. He had reflected on the words of a Buddhist monk that said, After the third cup, the wine drinks the man. After the third cup, the wine drinks the man. And I remember reading that, and it just really disturbed me because I knew it was true. Um, after two or three glasses of wine, you're no longer even in touch with your spiritual side. The wine's taken over the man. And then the other thing he had said from one of his Indian mentors said, if you desire to reach your highest potential and fulfill your dharma, you will need to live a life of sobriety. And at that point, Wayne had made the change and he gave up drinking. Well, I guess I'm a little harder. Uh, it takes me a little longer to learn because I did not stop drinking at that time in 2014. It took a little bit more than that, but I never forgot those words. And, I would, and, and Wayne would say um, that um, he didn't want to dis disappoint God or a spiritual self. Well, in 2018, I was going through a real hardship. I uh, injured my knee. And looking back now, it was really a blessing. I was burnt out in my job, 20 years of oncology, looking for a way out, but I didn't know how. My ego was wrestling with me about taking off that mask of caregiver because I had been a caregiver all my life. And I struggled with a lot of things and my own self-worth. And in 2018, I hit a real bad uh, low in depression. I was out of work for 11 months. I had three knee surgeries, including a knee replacement. And I got really down and I was drinking alcohol every day in 2018. Um, one day I did drink too much and I was just trying to calm myself self-medicate and uh, numb pain I also took a muscle relaxer well I ended up in the ER and I ended up with a court appointed um, admission to a psych ward and it was at that time once I got admitted and uh, ended up in my room for that night that something switched something happened um, it was 3 o'clock in the morning. It's very cold. I'm sleep deprived. I'm shocked. I'm scared. And I'm going down the hallway, down a very dark hallway to my room. There's a guy screaming like a banshee in the hallway. You're strip searched. You're photographed. And you have very little possessions. Uh, everything's just taken away. It's just a total shock. Now, I had seen this before um, because I was a nurse. I had worked on these wards. I ended up in my room on this very hard mattress, little plastic pillow and a tiny blanket. And I just remember thinking, wow, how did I get here? 
I put myself here and all of a sudden this overwhelming gratitude came over me and forgiveness and self-compassion for myself and the shift just took place from that moment on and I got myself well I got out of there and I haven't touched a drink for nearly three years um, and that's how I started my business and um, I want to share it with other people Wow congratulations and thank you for sharing that with all of us it's a long story I tried to shorten it You're oh welcome. no it's powerful mm -hmm. I was riveted uh, <laughs> you did great um, and I think that I'm sure you could write a book on it and maybe you should but um, yes ma'am you know it's so personal <laughs> but I, I think it reaches more people than we could imagine and I think that you know, there might be people listening to this podcast that are going to resonate with your story of that, you know, riding the line of um, substance use or abuse, right? I think sometimes we haven't quite decided which one it is until you hit that, that rock bottom. Now, Wayne was unusual in the fact that he had this daily habit, but he didn't have to hit a rock bottom to decide. I, th I think what happened is that he was really motivated to reach his potential. And I think he wanted to walk the talk, right? And so <laughs> when one of his teachers said to him that if you wanna reach these levels that I'm talking about, you can't put anything into your body that's going to harm you, and inspired him to, to, give, up, to give up alcohol. And it, you know, I love that Wayne Dyer has talked many times about the falls in our life preceding these great advancements. Yes. And it sounds like your your life is such a beautiful representation of that. You land on this, interestingly, you described this small, hard mattress, and I'm just hearing rock bottom, rock bottom in my head, right? <laughs> and then this moment of grace comes over you, and because of the choices that you made in that moment, with how you felt in that moment, the choices that you made there propelled, inspired, got you going into a new direction and all of these amazing things that you've built since then would not have been yes. possible if you hadn't had that course correction. You are absolutely correct about it. I am so grateful that it all occurred the way it did. I wish it had happened sooner but we don't always ha make those decisions for ourselves, do we? There's some divine plan somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like um, Spirit says to us on the daily, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. So I feel <laughs> like we get these quiet little nudges of maybe you shouldn't have that next drink or maybe you should start that business or maybe you should start going running or like whatever it is, right? I feel like we get these little nudges. We have all these opportunities and if we don't take it, then, you know, bam, like something big is going to push right. us and give us a bigger opportunity to make the change that we could have made before. So that's my question to myself all the time. Do you want to do this the easy way or the hard way? Because like Ramdas said, we're all walking each other home. Right. Every path can get you there. You know, every experience is an opportunity for awakening. Every every experience is a doorway, a pathway to awakening. Now, it's up to you whether you want to do it the easy way or the hard way. Right. But I think either way is just as valid. 
It is. There's just more suffering on one. Absolutely. I know. And Wayne talks about um, suffering being a way of finding enlightenment as well, you know. Um, well, you, the thing, what you had said about Wayne wanting so badly to have um, that spiritual connection that he was willing to, to give up the alcohol right away, that is absolutely true. I had some blocks, even though I had been a spiritual seeker all my life and had delved into many, many different paths to seek God, I had a block. And that's why it took me so long. My block was I had no self-love or self-worth. And I've discovered that if you don't have self-love or self-worth, you're going to always be seeking outside of yourself for answers. I would never go inside myself to look for answers because I didn't love myself. I didn't feel as though there was any self-worth to look into. So it took a breaking down and actually working through um, some of the childhood traumas and sexual traumas in my life. Um, once I healed those and worked through them, I discovered self-love and then it opened up the path to my spiritual self. I could tap into it. You wrote something to me that I think you, you worded what you're saying very well. Um, said, um, when we are wounded due to rejection, neglect, abuse, or emotional, physical, or sexual trauma, we are see ourselves as unworthy. We lack self-love. If we don't have self-love, we're constantly seeking love outside of ourselves. And when we talk about the work of spirituality or shadow work or working on ourselves, it's always that inward journey. And I hadn't thought about it until you said it now, about that you have to love yourself, you have to value yourself to even consider taking that journey in. Otherwise, why would you go into a place that doesn't feel like love to you? Absolutely. Yes. I, that's what I've discovered at the ripe age of 60. <laughs> <laughs> it takes what it takes. You still got plenty of time, sister. <laughs> it does. I do. <laughs> you, um, you mentioned to me that through synchronicity, you met a spiritual teacher that uh, I believe he was the one who introduced you to the books of Dr. Wayne Dyer. Could you tell us more about that? Oh, yes, I would be very happy to. Looking back, I can see clearly now, during uh, the time frame that I met my teacher, it wasn't clear what was happening. Um, it's very clear to me now. Well, I do have to go back a bit so you could see the synchronicity in this. Um, when I was very young, I've had, I was born with a love for horses. I didn't have a horse till I was 15, but I dreamt, ate, and, and slept horses. It was just something I was born with. And horses for me have always been a spiritual vehicle. They're spiritual animals to me. And some people may say, how could a horse be spiritual? Well, I say, well, have you ever seen a dog that's been abandoned or abused? Don't they have a wounded spirit? Have you ever seen a bird that's lost its mate? Don't they have a wounded spirit? Have you ever seen a horse that's been trained through um, submission and force? They're broken. Their spirit is broken. They're a broke horse. Um, so I do believe um, animals do have spirits. And when I'm with a horse, I feel most grounded, spiritual, 
closest to God. Um, and when I'm outside in nature, also as a little girl, I had a feeling somehow a knowing that I was somehow connected to Native American heritage, even though I'm mostly Irish, I have pale skin, blue eyes, and blonde hair. It's not likely, right? But somehow I had a knowing as a little girl that I was somehow related to Native Americans. And I spent a lot of time outside, a lot of time in nature, and just enjoying God's God's creation. So that's kind of a little background. Um, I lived in Connecticut. There was... Um, a need to move out of state because my husband didn't have work any any longer in Connecticut. So um, out of synchronicity, some different events took place and um, we decided we'd look in Texas for work. <clears throat> I found a job in Texas. I took a drive with our real estate agent, started looking at the property and I said, oh my God, that is the dream I've always held in my heart. That is the dream. I would tell my family, someday I'm going to have a big farm with horses in the front yard and the barn in the back. And I'm going to, ha I'm going to have this beautiful place with wide open fields and wide open sky. And when I was driving with the realtor, I saw it and I said, this is it. This is where my heart belongs. So we moved to Texas. We bought a ranch. And within a year, I got my first horse. When I was looking for a horse, I wanted to adopt one. So I was going through adoption agencies for horses and I saw a Mustang and I had to have her because she was a wild horse. And anytime I wanted to escape um, from life and I wanted to feel free, it was on the back of a horse, on the back of a horse, riding a horse. And I always would conjure up in my mind, these beautiful horses in a pasture. So I had to have this horse. There was something that drew me to her. So I adopted her and I was able to ride her for a little while, but then on the third ride, she threw me off and I broke my ankle. I needed to find a trainer to help me because I was way in over my head. I was 48 years old. I had not trained a horse before and she had very little training, but I had to ride this horse in my mind. Someone gave me a name of a horse trainer. I called him up. I had him come out and he evaluated my horse and there was something very, very different about this trainer. All the other trainers I had called said, lady, just get rid of that horse. Get yourself a nice broke water horse. Why do you have a Mustang? Nobody understood what the purpose was or what it meant to me. This particular trainer did. He understood and he spent an hour evaluating different things on my horse. And he talked about all these books and, and spiritual matters. And there was just something about him. So I started working with him, with my horse. So I, that's how, why I say my horse was a spiritual vehicle, because she led me to this trainer. This trainer, interestingly enough, as we began to work together, and we did for many, many years. We worked together. Uh, he was part Cherokee Indian, interestingly enough. And it wasn't too, too long into meeting him. I would say within the first year, I had a knowing we had met before. 
some other time and some other space. There was just this soul connection that you just couldn't explain any other way. So we spent many, many years, almost 10 years, studying together. Um, he was my teacher, my trainer, my coach, my mentor, and my spiritual guide. Um, working with him was like looking in a mirror at my own reflection and seeing myself, um, seeing the broken places, sometimes the painful, oftentimes confusing. But he himself had done so much work on himself and just shared his knowledge and would just point in a direction. I did the work, he would point and support. So um, at one of his clinics one day, he was giving away books from his library. And one of the books was Your Sacred Self that I picked up and I read 10 years ago. And that was my first introduction to Wayne Dyer. He was a big, big Wayne Dyer fan. Wow. Is is he still around? Where is your mentor now? Yes. Um, we're no longer connected. Um, he's in another area now, um, still doing the work that he does. That sounds amazing. Um, a couple things came to mind when you told me that story. Um, one is that you were seeing the reflection of what was going on in yourself um, through this man. And I've been reading a book from Ram Dass called Polishing the Mirror. And that, you know, we, we really are mirrors yes. and, and the world around us is reflecting back to us what's happening on the inside. And, and what we see is a reflection of, of what we feel and how we think. And so often that goes unexamined. Um, but I think that what you're talking about with him, this, this remembering, this connection, you were feeling an energy, you were feeling a, a wavelength that he was on that held space mm -hmm. for you to do your own um, inner work. And wow, what a what a what a beautiful um, and um, divine meeting. And there was one other thing that I wanted to tell you because it was, it was, it was kind of yeah. funny. Um, when you're telling the story about finding this land and your dream of, of having it, I'm going to have a big farm one day with horses. And um, I don't know if you remember, but Wayne used to sing this song on stage sometimes. Oh, give me land, lots of land and the starry skies above. Don't fence <laughs> me in. Right? And he's like, don't fence me in. He's like, that's how we feel. That's what your soul wants. That's what you want. And now, like, you've, you, yes. oh, when you look back on your life and you're saying, I can see clearly yes. now. And Wayne taught us to look at, you know, these threads in our life that, that connect everything and that you were drawn to the wild horse because you wanted to feel free. Like all of this connects to the yearnings of the soul. Absolutely. Yes. Here's the other thing that I've learned. That was indeed a divine appointment. There is no doubt that meeting and I, I will treasure those years that we worked together forever. Um, and through some of the teachings and the work that I did on myself, I did find self-love. And that was that was the biggest thing, was finding that self-love. And um, all the different books, uh, Louise Hay, You Can Heal Yourself, and Byron Katie doing the work and the questions and the turnarounds. And all those things were introduced to me by him, um, books, music, all different avenues for self-help. But Wayne was the most 
uh, instrumental in, in my healing and in his. And we shared that, which was beautiful. Um, back to the freedom. I have always craved and seeked freedom. Never knew what it was. It didn't click until I started hospice work. And um, hospice I've been doing for about three years. And usually when I tell people that I, I retired from oncology nursing after 20 years and now I'm a hospice nurse, I get this very strange look because people say, why did you go from taking care of cancer patients into hospice and taking care of people dying? Well, um, I just love the work because I'm helping people transition out of their body. I was introducing myself to a gentleman at a holistic chamber of commerce one day, and he said, what do you do for work? And I said, well, currently I'm a hospice nurse and I'm a health and wellness coach. And he said, oh, you're a midwife. And I said, no, I'm, and then I just stopped and my jaw dropped and I said, a midwife. Yes, exactly. And it clicked. I said, yes. I, and I, I let it just kind of revolve around my brain for, for a while and just kind of resonate. And, and I did some writing on it. And it's so true. It's, it's a very sacred work. We're helping people in mind, body, spirit, since we're all connected, all those things are connected. We're helping people in their mind accept that they're going to die. We're helping their body die comfortably and we're helping the spirit transition out and the spirit is always alive. It's infinite and it, it's going to be a rebirth somewhere else. So yes, indeed, a midwife. And I just love that. Then I realized that what I was longing, that freedom, was for the spirit to be freed out of the confines of the body when I understood what that longing was all about I no longer felt that I had to be free I got comfortable in my body I wonder if it's if it's a freedom from the body or a freedom from the mind mm, all probably all of the above since it's all connected how does spirituality impact your work as a hospice nurse it helps a lot because I've examined what death looks like and I'm completely um, unafraid. I have no fear about dying. My patients typically have a lot of fear. We have a lot of fear in the Western uh, world around dying where the Eastern world is not so fearful. They talk about it more. A lot of it is based around religion Catholic faith and uh, and Christianity that we fear that we're not going to go to heaven or we're going to be punished and a lot of the fear is there so how do I use my spirituality I try to be open and honest with people when they ask me um, if when they're expressing fear I just try to calm them and talk to them about the fact that we are separating our spirit from our body and that there should be peace in that. And just over time when you're working with them, sometimes for months at a time, you're working towards releasing some of that fear and getting them more ready 
to leave their body. Um, so that's basically how I'll use my spirituality. Ramdas worked with um, hospice. Um, he did talks as well on on death and dying. Has he been an influence on your path? Oh my goodness, has he ever? He's one a, a very favorite uh, spiritual teacher for me. Yes, I love Ramdas, um, and I can relate to everything that he says about um, working with the de the dying. It's very sacred work. Yes, indeed. Wayne Dyer talked about, um, you know, I think what he was trying to help us do was to die while you're still alive, which I think is that sense of freedom that, that you're talking about, the freedom from the body. Um, and I know he, I think he quoted Rumi or, or somebody when he was talking about that. But this, um, you know, dying to the self, dying to the ego without mm -hmm. having to experience a physical death and that that would bring us enlightenment, that that would bring us um, freedom. Now, I had both of my children with the assistance of a midwife. So mm. my, uh, my experience with midwives is that they really hold the space. They hold mm. the space for you. They're not delivering your baby, right? Like a lot of <laughs> medical doctors will claim to do. I have delivered your baby and really they're they're standing by and the woman is doing everything and they're monitoring, right? Right. But midwives, it's like they respect the body, they respect you as an individual, they respect your space, and they're just kind of there. Like I feel like they give you a little emotional boost and they give you a little a little bit of just their presence in the room. It's like you feel safer, you feel like you're heard, and um, they're there in case you need right. them. They're there in case in case you need something. And and so that's a midwife for birth. And I think it makes just as much sense to have a midwife for death, that that person to hold that space and guide you and know that you're not alone and know that somebody's looking after you. And even if it's just somebody to listen to you and be like, you know, how does that feel? Like, how is this experience for you rather than rather than trying to control the experience? Um, a midwife becomes the witness. Absolutely. We, um, as hospice nurses, we tend to work more with the family than the patient. Yes, indeed, we're ministering to the patient. It's ministry work. But the family is definitely needs a lot of guidance, a lot of support. We wear many hats, social worker hats, um, therapist hat, um, chaplain hat. Uh, and they have a lot of fear as well. Um, what I wanted to say is there's something really miraculous that happens that I'm able to share with the family members to give them some peace. Back to your question about how would I use my spirituality. Something very beautiful happens in the last 24 to 48 hours of um, a person's life. Typically, it's rare that you don't see it. The patient could, I say patient because I'm a nurse, um, but the person, when they're dying, uh, they could be comatose for a week, not talking, not opening their eyes. But just before the last 24 hours of their life, something usually does occur. They'll open their eyes. They'll be staring somewhere else, nowhere in, in the room. They're somewhere very far away. 
and their eyes are actually a totally different color. They're a gray color that are almost see-through and they're looking somewhere else. Sometimes they'll put their arms out. Sometimes they'll be talking to someone who's already passed and that's, that's transitioning. That's when their spirit is starting to transition and they're talking to people that have passed and they're preparing to leave their body. So I, I, I um, guide my families and tell them about all this to give them some sort of peace. And it does usually help. Gives them some comfort. So I guess the big question is, what do you think happens when we die? That's a good question. You know, I grew up as a Catholic for most of my life. And then I did a big deep dive into Christianity for 20 years. And just, I love Jesus. I love the Bible, the gospels. And I, I was doing three Bible studies a week and I really dove into Christianity um, for 20 years. Um, but, you know, in those religions, we believe in heaven and hell or purgatory. I no longer believe in heaven and hell. Um, I believe, and nobody knows because no one's gone out of their body and have come back completely to tell us where they've been. We've, we hear about near-death experiences and what the feeling was out of their body. But no one's ever gone out to wherever that space is. Our spirit goes somewhere. All I know for certain is our spirit never dies. Our spirit never dies. It's eternal. It's infinite. The thing that I've heard from near-death experiences um, that intrigues me, one, there's a lot of similarities, but they always get to this point, this threshold, where it's like you can't go any further and come back, which, which yes, mm. it's like we have – people coming back with firsthand stories of this is what I experienced. But it's almost like they're telling us part of the transition. We're only getting a piece of the story. We don't know what happens when you cross that second threshold. What's on the other side? What does that feel exactly. like? Did you read Anita Morjani's book, Dying to Be Me? I've read portions of it, not enough to speak well on it. Um, but I've read a lot of books about near-death experience because I've always been fascinated with where the spirit goes. She had a profound influence on my understanding of, of death and actually brought me a lot of, a lot of peace. Um, the way I currently see it, the way I currently feel about it is that um, it can be an amazing blissful experience for the soul crossing over. I think it's mm. difficult for the ones left behind. Um, but to me, it kind of feels like coming home. Like, like if we all left on vacation and we all go to Tahiti, let's say, or your whole family takes this big trip to Tahiti. Well, some people maybe caught the early flight. Maybe some people flew back home. You wouldn't be sad about that. You'd be like, oh, it's too bad the vacation's over, but it was so great. You're going to be great at home. We'll see you later, right? And like, I kind of hold that image in my mind because um, the, the, the feeling, the the message that I get from people who have crossed over is that, like, they haven't gone anywhere. Like, they're still here. They still feel like they're with yes. us. They still feel this connection. Absolutely. I do feel as though we could stay connected with people spiritually 
after they've left. Uh, I'd like to share a little story about Wayne um, speaking about that. I really feel like Wayne still is around, you know? Oh, I, I do too. I don't know who Wayne was. I don't know who he was, but I sense that he has been many different people. Um, and that he uh, was put here to teach us um, as the other teachers were here to teach us. St. Francis and Latsu, uh, you know, he had a, a affinity um, studying those two men and felt as though they were a part of his life. Um, I don't know who Wayne was. He was some spiritual being. And he's still here. I'll share a little story what happened uh, recently. If I need to um, calm down, de-stress, or if I'm feeling angry, I will pop in a podcast from Wayne because he will immediately reset me, <laughs> correct me, and just get me right back to where I need to be, you know, <laughs> love him. Well, uh, when I read um, your spiritual, excuse me, your sacred self, I keep saying your spiritual self, there was a chapter that really caught my eye. Chapter six, it was called Shut Down the Inner Dialogue. And Wayne talks about using the metaphor of a pond with five levels for how the mind works to shut down the inner dialogue. And it's a full chapter. And he uses such visualization that I was just in awe with it. And it, it, it made sense to me how you have to quiet down the mind, similar to the five layers in a pond. The chatter level is the first level in the pond with all the wind and debris bl blowing around. And you go down and down and down, the analyzing, the synthesizing, the surrendering, till you reach the bottom of the pond where there's stillness. And that imagery just, I thought was so beautiful and so wane. I never forgot it. And I read that book about 10 years ago. Um, I was not a meditator at that time, but I said, boy, that would make a wonderful meditation. Well, lo and behold, I was reading a meditation to a friend a few years ago. And that person said, you have a really nice voice. You should, you should lead some meditations. I found that surprising because I never liked listening to my voice. And it wasn't comfortable with the recording. <laughs> yeah, most people feel but, that way. You know, I had some ideas. Yeah. But I had some ideas in my head of what I'd like to record. So I started recording. And I, I actually liked my voice. And I started a, a meditation podcast um, called Morning Grounding Meditation by Restore Balance Within. It's on Apple and Spotify. And I remembered Wayne's chapter in the book about the pond. So I went back to my bookshelf last year. I opened up that book and I began writing a meditation using his words. I was very satisfied with it at the end. And I said, oh, now I need to get copyright. Um, I need to get permission to use copyright, um, his copyrighted work. So I went through the proper channels and I contacted um, the, the publisher, HarperCollins Publishing Company. I put in a request to use certain pages and certain words, and it was a six-week wait. Well, during those six weeks, I spent time just talking to Wayne. 
I would go out to my um, horse area where I had a little meditation area where we do our meditation um, equine retreats. And I would just talk with Wayne. We would just sit there together in the evening and I would just ask him, well, Wayne, what do you think about this meditation that I, that I wrote? Would you be happy with it? Do you think we should share it with the world? Would that be something um, you would approve of? And I would just kind of get a feeling for what he thought. And I felt really good about it. I felt like, yes, he indeed would, he would approve of it. Um, and I talked to my all kinds of things going on in my life. It was kind of a weird, weird situation last year with different things going on in my life. And I definitely felt his presence. And I feel like we could always tap in to get his wisdom at any time. Well, six weeks to almost to the day came and I was sitting in my car and I received a call from the publisher's office. Very nice gentleman on the line. And he just uh, began to say, um, we get thousands of requests like this every day. We just don't do this. We get thousands of requests. And I just jumped in and I blurted out, you don't understand. Let me explain. I said, I read this book 10 years ago and it had such an impact on me that I remembered it. And when I started a podcast, I just wrote it out and I said, I think Wayne would be so happy with this. And I said, he, he made such an impact on my own spiritual walk. And suddenly he flips and he said, he agreed that he would allow me to use it as long as I signed a contract for one year usage and paid a fee. I thanked him. It was done. I hung up the phone and I sat there in my car and I said, wow, what just wow. happened? <laughs> it was all Wayne. <laughs> oh, anything's possible. It was all Wayne. Anything's possible when you're working with Wayne. I definitely <laughs> feel his presence in everything that I'm doing now. I know he sends people to me that I would have never met otherwise. And and it's just amazing. Wow, what a story. So let me see if I got the name of this right, because we're all going to want to go check out your podcast now. It's called um, Morning Morning Grounding Meditation by Restore Balance Within. Grounding Meditation Within. Yes, ma'am. It's on Apple and Spotify. There's a picture of a beautiful tree with the chakra colors. You'll see it. Mm-hmm. Did you make a video of that? Because I could have sworn you shared something yes. in the group. Yes. Can I you share that again? Because I'm sure it's yes. lost in the feed somewhere. And then put in a link for your um, for your podcast um, when you share that. So we all can right, all check I sure that will. Out too. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I love that. You have so many amazing <sighs> yeah. stories. I think I could probably have you on for a week straight of recordings, and we wouldn't run out of things to talk about. But... I wanted to tell you, um, mm -hmm. one of my previous guests, Ann Seeger, she is in Denmark and she is a medium and she works with horses. So if you haven't listened to that episode, mm -hmm. um, look for the one with Ann Seeger. She, um, she actually heals the horses. She doesn't use the horses to heal people. Oh. She does it the other way around. But she definitely feels that connection and she's amazing. And she, she hears mm -hmm. Wayne. She, 
she met him as a guide without actually knowing who he was. And he's like, go look me up. And it's like, oh, okay, this is who Wayne Dyer is. Um, the other person that I was thinking about when we were talking today is Craig Stanland. Now, he spent some time in prison for a blue collar crime. I heard and he has, that. Yeah, he has this amazing story that really comes back to this sense of self-worth, this sense of worthiness. Mm -hmm. And that is so in alignment with with what you were sharing with us um, today. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe the episode is called Reinvention from Prison with Craig Stanland. And that is a really fascinating one. He's got a new book coming out this year, too. I'm looking forward to that. So, um, yes, I heard that podcast. It was wonderful. I think really we do have other uh, stories. I have plenty of stories to share. I've had a very, um, very full and difficult life. Uh, I'd love to share it another time when we have more time about where that um, loss of self-love and worthiness started in, in how it was perceived as a child and it just carried on through adulthood. And, and we can do that some other time. Yeah, there are a couple more things I want to ask you before I let you go today. And one is, All um, right. gosh, one is, well, you know, what was it about Wayne Dyer that resonated with you? And what kind of impact did he have on, on your life? Wayne, to me, is like a wise grandfather. Someone I could go to. Um, I would not feel judged by him. I would uh, value his every word, and he's so full of positivity, and I'm a very optimistic, positive person, and I really resonate with that part of him, um, and I love teachers that are full of wisdom, so all of that. So did he change the way that you thought about things? Did he shift something for you? Yeah, the saying, um, change the way you look at things, the look the way you look at things change. It's just so absolutely true. I've actually worked with a lot of different people that are pretty much saying the same thing. Ram Das talks about the mind. Uh, Krishna Das talks about the mind. Um, Louise Hay talks about the mind. Our mind is very powerful and it believes anything we tell it. And that's basically the words that Wayne is using. He's just changed it around a little bit. So if we're careful with what we tell our mind, we're going to believe those things that, that are good for us, that, that are, are going to help us. But if the words that we're putting in our mind um, are not going to help us, they're going to be self-defeating, we're going to believe those. And that's where low self-worth can come in, too, if you're constantly telling yourself that you're not worthy or you're not good or you're not pretty enough or thin enough. Um, so getting off that conveyor belt of relooping it around and around, you'll, you'll have the same story going every single day until you change it and learning how to change it, you know. They say that we think 60,000 thoughts every day. The problem is we think the same 60,000 thoughts every single day. <laughs> I always loved the saying, don't believe everything you think. And that's so true because, you know, I believe it was Ram Dass who taught me this, that, um, you know, the mind is a wonderful servant and a terrible master, that we need to be coming from our heart space to direct our lives and then mm. use our mind as a tool 
on the details because it is an amazing mm-hmm. tool, but it shouldn't be leading the show. If you feel yeah. like you have to run everything through logic and thoughts and analyzing before you act, you're kind of missing the heart of the matter. You're missing the soul of who you are. And I believe that that's how we should direct our lives. I believe that that's, that's the only place we're going to get joy from, that if we're always just running around as servants to our thoughts if we're letting those crazy thoughts run the show it's Mm -hmm. it's so critical you know we don't talk nicely to ourselves um you know this ego um it's a tricky thing and uh i like that there are so many different sources like you mentioned like like louise hay and krishna das and ram das and and um so many right that we could talk about and teachers from thousands of years ago were telling us the same thing that there's this truth that runs through everything and i find too you you can find truth in the most unlikely of places the most unlikely like sometimes you'll you'll take a little snippet from like a rock and roll song or something and it's so profound you know or something that a kid says it's like it can come from anywhere it can come from a commercial it can come from a movie right there is truth everywhere if you're just paying attention yes so Wayne back to when I first read the book your sacred self 10 years ago I couldn't wrap my mind around the ego and cultivating the witness it was fascinating me, but I would reread and reread and reread his paragraphs trying to grasp it. It wasn't until many, many years down the road I understood what cultivating the witness was, being able to sit back and watch your thoughts. So once you're able to learn how to do that through practice, then you can change the thoughts. But until you understand that and learn how to watch your thoughts, you're going to be stuck on that conveyor belt. Meditation is such a great practice for becoming the witness and starting to observe just how the mind works, just what it's doing. Mm -hmm. I feel like people believe that you have to stop your thoughts. I don't think your thoughts are ever going to stop. But you can start to observe them and then you can choose how engaged you get into those thoughts. Are you going to follow that one or are you just going to let it go by? and that is, it's like, it's like going to the gym. It's like going to the gym for your mind. I say your mind is a muscle, so I suppose that's a good metaphor. But it's mm-hmm. that practice. And then if you do it for a while, you start to notice that you'll have this moment in the day where normally you would have reacted. You would have reacted in anger. You would have reacted as feeling offended or you would have just sort of done something without thinking about it. And instead, you might find a moment of space before you take that action. Or you might not immediately identify with the first thought that you have. And then that gives you a moment to to make that choice so that your actions and your words are intentional and not just reacting to what's happening around you. Yes, indeed. It takes practice. Can you tell me more about your equine therapy and meditation retreat center? Are you still holding retreats right now? Because we're no, kind of it crazy is time. it is winter. Uh, COVID doesn't affect outside activities, um, though. I will tell you, I didn't have a lot of participants last year because people were living in their fear mode, even being outside. Terrified a lot of people. Um, there's been so much fear around that. Um, which really resolves around fear of death, if you ask me. 
this fear that that people have over covid but um oh yeah absolutely yeah um yes so what i discovered was i've been gifted this farm my dream farm that i manifested in my mind as a little girl and it provides for me that balance that i need and the spirit of the horse helps me get grounded so I just decided why not share this with other people so I started the equine therapy two years ago and what that looks like is um, a person comes for the day from 10 to 3 they're provided a healthy nutritious lunch um, they get to spend the whole time with horses it's a non-riding event due to liability there's just too many accidents with people riding horses it's all hands-on grooming feeding sitting in different garden spots and meditation areas walking up to the pond I have 10 acres having a time of reflection I lead a couple guided meditations we do some yoga stretching in the morning um, and some breath work um, a nice lunch. They're provided a journal for reflection and have different activities we can do. There's time they're left alone. They can just walk the, the area and be out with the birds and the hawks and just take in nature, feel grounded, restored, and healing. I have some questions I'll ask in the beginning of the session and then we'll close with some questions to see if they've been able to release some of the stuff they came came. Um, came with you know, uh, people that have lost a loved one or dealing with grief divorce anyone that's has a troubled spirit I'm hoping that at the end of their day that's been released and they're feeling better or people that have been working in the city and it's a hustle bustle never have a chance to slow down they have a chance to breathe um, we'll have a little campfire and some ceremonial cocoa at the end and we'll just have our our wind down together that sounds really really beautiful and i imagine it's a um it probably gives people the space to to let through what needs to bubble up for them and um safe space for healing um i imagine it's it's quite an experience for you as well now you also have some services that you offer on your website can you tell mm -hmm. us more about that sure yeah i've always been a gym girl i love to be physically fit um so I had gotten my certification as a personal fitness trainer and with my business as a health and fitness coach, I offer um, Zoom fitness classes, 30-minute uh, sessions online, and I also offer women, and I do tend to work with women because I know women's bodies best and diets for women better than men. Men require a whole different uh, nutritional plan. So I work with women, especially menopausal women, that I have trouble uh, putting on weight due to hitting menopause and hormones. I, I'm guiding them with that. And um, being a nurse, I'm able to assist them with what doctor to go to to get their hormones balanced and such. Um, I'll give a nutritional plan after looking at a food journal that the people have, look, have put together We'll look at what they need to do to change their diet and also put together a fitness plan for them. 
the other piece of the mind body spirit to balance out um their whole health because this holistic health that we're talking about is i'll help them set up a daily practice whatever their spiritual practice is whether it's a catholic faith christian hindu buddhist i'm going to help them put together a little space in their home or on their porch or in their garden to find that time to get grounded and centered. Do you work with just um, people locally or if they're joining you online, can they join you from anywhere? They can join me for any, from anywhere, all Zoom conferences. Mm -hmm. Great. So what's the best way for people to reach you? Where can they find you? It would be www.RestoreBalanceWithin.com. Um, there was one other question that we didn't get to that is still, is still want to ask it. And that is why hospice? <laughs> because, um, now to me that like you went from, um, oncology to hospice to me, hospice, I think would be the most emotionally challenging, um, service that you can provide in, in, in health and wellness, right? That you are, because you have to come face to face with your own mortality and other people's mortality and the reactions to that. So what was it that was like, okay, I don't want to do oncology anymore. I'm going to do hospice. Like what about that was, was a step up for you or a step in the direction that you wanted to go? I know that is a, a good question, question, right? It is. And I, I've analyzed it. I know the answer. And I'm going to tell you the answer. But everyone asked me that question, but not quite so directly. People kind of skirt around it and they just kind of look <laughs> at me like, oh, you do that work? Oh, <laughs> all right. So here's the thing. When I was a nurse's aide, um, back when I was 20 years old, I've been taking care of patients for 40 plus years. That's what I do. That's my dharma. I'm a caregiver. Um, I'm, a, I'm a compassionate mercy caregiver. That's my dharma. I can't take that mask off completely. I've tried. I keep coming right back to it because that is my purpose. When I was 20 and I was working in the hospital, we would rotate to all the different floors, surgical, ortho, um, maternity and I'd end up on the oncology floor there was something about the cancer patients that I was drawn into their rooms I would see people patients that their bodies were so riddled from both their disease and the treatment of chemotherapy and radiation that you would think they would just give up, but there was something that was keeping them going, something very spiritual about them, and that desire to live was so incredibly strong where most people would say, I'm done. So there was something about that type of patient. I knew I needed to work with them. I needed to find out more. There was something there. And so I became an oncology nurse for 20 years, and I had all that time to really look at it and work with people. I gave administered chemotherapy, worked with radiation patients, talked to them about going on to hospice and and all. But keep in mind that we're giving toxic meds to people and we're making them sick. I needed to leave that world and go into the world of holistic care, of making our bodies well and not putting toxins in. 
hospice and oncology is similar in the sense that you're working with the spiritual person and their fears. And I was very comfortable with death. And I love that act of ministry, helping people leave their bodies. So it was actually a natural transition. I was just thinking that most people would be too afraid. Um, their own fear of death, I think, would would put a wall up and prevent them from from choosing to provide that kind of care. But it is so essential. And so I want to thank you for the work that you do, for the work that you've been doing, because it helps people that are, um, boy, nothing is more raw. Nothing is more right at the surface. Um, there's nowhere to hide when you're dying and the families that are involved in that, um, they're going through it too. And it's, it's so hard. So mm -hmm. I think it takes a really special person yeah. to do this work. And I think it speaks to the work that you've done on yourself to get to that place, to have that sense of curiosity, that your curiosity was stronger than your fear. And you're looking at the soul of a person mm -hmm. and, and, and what comes forward, especially when we're, we're really pushed to, to the edge. So, um, wow. Um, I think you're the first person I've spoke to that works in hospice. And, and like I said, Ramdas was really kind of, um, the one that I think of that, that, that taught me a little bit about death and dying and then Anita Morjani that shared her experience and um, how you can kind of take what, what you learn from coming to the brink like that and, and use it. And, and what she was told is go back and live your life fearlessly. That she said she could see that the reason why she got sick is because she was so afraid of what other people thought. She lived her life... Um, afraid of disappointing people living under the expectations and then her friend died of cancer and she was terrified so she was very focused mm -hmm. on cancer she was terrified and then she got it and she was just kind of like well of course I got it so I feel like you know take it for what it's worth but she has a lot of lessons that she learned and the fact that she's alive and that she's here to tell us this is a miracle. We're all miracles. We're all walking miracles. Yeah. The fact that we even exist, we cannot explain. We spend lifetimes trying to, I think, observe the nature of life, but we are not in charge of it. And just like birth, right? If you've ever witnessed a birth, um, we're not in charge of that either. Oh, yeah. It is on its own path and that baby yes. will come when that baby is good and ready so thank you so much mm -hmm. for being here and sharing your story and I hope that we have a chance to come on and talk some more I'm going to be looking for your um your video of the the meditation I want to see that one again and oh, your meditation sure, podcast. I'll share that. well thank you so much it's been an honor if there was one message that you could leave everyone with today what would you say? My biggest message would be if you're not feeling that you're worthy and don't know what self-love is, work on it. And when those areas are healed, you will find the greatest peace and spiritual connection you could ever imagine gratitude and freedom yep we are 
one thought away from peace. I think that we have to face our wounds in order to be free. Um, we can identify with those things that have hurt us forever or, or it stops us from truly living. You're either moving towards life or you're moving towards death. And when I lost my um, father a year and a half ago now, I think about that a lot. I think about, um, I keep, I keep getting this little voice that says, um, don't focus on death, focus on life. Because what you focus on expands, what are you moving towards? And there's so much beauty to be had in this life if we're just looking for it. Thank you for joining me today, Deanna. It's been a real pleasure. For all our listeners, thank you for following Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, and telling your friends about it. If you'd like to connect with my guest today, you can find her at RestoreBalanceWithin.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit NadiaDelacruz.com. And until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Namaste. Namaste. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.